Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, hanging out, Ray Harkins, with you. Uh, that, wasn't the, that wasn't in the right order, right? <laughs> Anyways... What we do with the show is uh, talk about independent music with people who are creating it, whether they're in bands, whether they're putting out records, whether they're doing publicity behind those records, or if they've been attached to this beautiful punk, hardcore, indie rock scene and have taken those principles and apply it to their daily lives and are doing cool artistic things around it. So yeah, hopefully that's a uh, nice description of what we got going on here. And we have a third-time guest on the show, Mr. Buddy Nielsen, my old friend who has appeared, like I said, twice on the show, and now this will make his third time. He basically hit me up because uh, since fails a new record coming out on Pure Noise, and it's a spectacular record, by the way. If you have not listened to any of the songs, please just simply Google it. You will be able to find it anywhere you uh, have the internet. But it's a really, really good record because basically it combines their sort of old hardcore, or not old hardcore stuff, their more recent hardcore stuff, and their older, you know, poppier uh offerings and it's just uh it's a really really good record so buddy hits me up because uh you know we're friends and we were talking it was like this this makes sense you should come on the show again because uh yeah you want to talk about your new record but most importantly you want to talk about you know life because uh he has a kid now and there's just a lot of interesting things so you'll hear us kind of dive into the conversation because uh you know we're just catching up like friends and uh i had recently uh sprained my ankle pretty badly still still recovering from it and so uh you'll hear us talking about uh you know being old (laughs) and and injuring yourself and then we kind of get into the conversation about um yeah you know mortality and all those other fun things right (laughs) but uh let's uh let's talk about some things that you need to know about right that's what you're here to be educated become a a scholar in all things that are cool well maybe maybe that's not the best description but you need to know about rockabilia.com so if you buy band merch which i am guessing you do I've got so many band shirts, it's absurd. And so I would like to consider myself somewhat of an expert. And I have ordered off rockabilly.com, and it is a great website. You can find everything from the heaviest band to the softest band and everything in between. They have over like half a million items for sale. Shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, long sleeves, whatever you can think of, they have it, and it's officially licensed too, so it's not getting some horrific bootleg that uh, will fade out in the wash and ultimately... The bands get paid. This is officially licensed stuff. And that's a huge, huge component about what Rockabilia does and why they care so much about, you know, supporting the artists because they're paying them money. And that's a uh, that's not what the bootleggers do. So you can get 15 percent off using my code PC 100 words or less. So please. And that's the number 100. So dive in there. Do it. 
tell them that this show particularly sent you and you will be able to, uh, yeah, yeah, basically I'm kind of like buying, buying maybe two sleeves on your, your short sleeve shirt. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just giving you a discount. All right. And uh, I also have to talk about our awesome web partners, noecho.net. Great website. They've got a lot of cool stuff in relation to punk and hardcore in-depth interviews. Uh, I basically, I feel like it's the uh, counterpart to what we do here auditorily. They do from a visual slash word perspective. So that is that. And we also, I, I will have a interview with uh, Carlos, the proprietor of said website, where we do a really, really fun buried treasure episode, which uh, I'll tell you about a little bit later. Okay. So yeah, like I said, buddy, new senses fail records coming out, pure noise records, uh, order it, listen to it and support the work that buddy does because, um, I just feel like it's important. He is a prolific artist. He's been at this for quite some time. And I just think that uh, what he does is awesome. So that's uh, no more preamble. Let's dive right into the conversation. Like I said, you'll be hearing us kind of talking midstream about uh, my my hurt ankle and growing older. And uh, that's where you're going to be left. Okay, so let's listen to a little bit of a song that is called Green Jacket, Gold Jacket. Who gives a shit? That's off the new pure noise release from senses fail and uh yeah here you go i think that probably has to do with with um you know, the, uh, laziness factor more than anything else. You know, <laughs> it's like, they feel, yeah. they feel bad. They're like, Oh, I'm not being active. So yeah, you can't do this because you reach a certain age. It's like, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to treat your body differently, but you don't need to like, complain. no, stop. Right. I mean, hockey, hockey players play routinely into their forties. Yeah. And hockey is not like a soft sport. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, <laughs> no. It's they're routinely playing into their forties because because they can. I mean, you can. You keep you, you, some some sports you can't. You know what I mean? Like football or like yeah. I don't know. Even basketball is like there's such a high level of skill. Like on and off, on like an NBA level. You know what I mean? Like oh yeah. There's always going to be some nineteen year old that's just like smokes everybody, right? Of course. Yeah, and that's just the nature of the game. But like with hockey. You can be like a 45-year-old veteran and still like be smashing people. (laughs) (laughs) No, totally. And yeah, of course, you do have to change the way that you approach a sport no matter what as you age through it. But it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't preclude you from not being, you know, active in it. It's like, well. Yeah, you just have to pay a little more attention to like what you put in your body, your sleep, like. Totally. Rest. And like, those are the things that I found. Like you can be a little bit more cavalier when you're younger. You can just be like, whatever, man, I'm going to eat a bunch of garbage and not sleep. And I'll still like rebound just as well. <clears throat> right, right, right. As opposed to, yeah, you know, where you become more aware of that. Uh, and then, you know, when you're 17 years old or even when we had far less knowledge about sports, like I just always love the story. That's true. I, I love the stories of, you know, players in the sixties and seventies that were like smoking in the locker rooms and eating like seven <laughs> cheeseburgers before they played. And it's like, how do you, how did they do that? I don't know. I mean, they're all pretty young too. I mean, but the, but the caliber of like what their output was is also far lower than like 
that's currently. True. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that also <laughs> that also makes a lot of sense. I'm sure those go hand in hand. You know, yeah, exactly. That's funny. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about because I'm still pretty. I'm still like very active, and you know, I'm 34 now. Right. But like, but I'm in this weird phase where I'm starting to like. No, I don't want to say feel old, but I know I'm not young. Right. Yeah. You're, you, well, you're in that precarious, you know, sort of <laughs> mi- middle aged where it's like you're turning, you know, you clearly your priorities have shifted um, from, you know, what you used to be when you were younger. But then you reckon with the fact that it's like, well, yeah, like I'm not as, you know, obviously as old as my my parents. And so I'm still you know, more mobile than them. But yeah, having to grapple with that and like, well, where does I, where do I sit? Like, I don't, I don't want to stop this stuff. So I'm not going to. Yeah. Why, why would you, I mean, what's the, like, I don't really see a reason to stop any physical activity unless it's like detrimental and, or just not something you want to do. <laughs> I don't, you yeah. Know I mean? Cause like, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of, it's kind of a weird spot because I, I don't, I mean, well, and I you don't hi- feel, and I you, I don't feel old. I, but. Right. And you hike and you, and you hike a ton too. I mean, you do a lot of, you know, out, outdoors activities. So, and yeah, they, I mean, you can do that until you're, you know, 107. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can, I mean, you can pretty much do anything for as long as you want to do it. I, it's just a matter of like, does your lifestyle, keep up with it. You know what I mean? Like if you're like, like I said, if you're eating poorly and not sleeping, like it's going to be hard for you to like go run around and play basketball. Like it's just, yeah. It's, or it's going to just hurt way more. You're just not going to recover. And that's the thing that I found is like the recovery. It takes longer. Yeah. It takes longer, especially if you get hurt, like actually hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I've always, which, I've always loved, <laughs> I've always loved the saying where and I don't even know where this comes from, but like, you know, your lifestyle determines your death style. Oh like, God. Which it's I mean, like, it's so cheesy, but then you're just like, Oh, well, I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. It's like, if you're careless then yes, you, you, you will die this way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we like, you know, I don't, I don't, I would like to be mobile and active as long as I possibly can, which I don't really foresee there being a point where I'm not, you know, like yeah. to some extent, maybe it's not the same extent. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe I'm not like competing in jujitsu tournaments or I'm not like, you know, climbing scary, scary thing. You know what I mean? Like, so it's all like relative, but then I think as you get older, you're also less inclined to want to take as many risks. That's something I've definitely found out from having a kid. I'm like super paranoid now about risk. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're like, I, I enjoy this thing, this whole thing called life. And I, I want to be here for as long as yeah. possible, which is really weird. I don't, no one told me that. Right. Like no one told me like, yo, you're going to have a kid and then like have this new, like excitement about life to the point where, where you used to like kind of nonchalantly, like not really care, not, not, not care. Well, there were points in my life where I just didn't want to be alive, but right. I mean, to the point where you're like, yeah, you know, I can, you know, if I died, I, you know, yeah, I, I did. I did it. <laughs> I did it, you know, but now you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, no, no, no I don't want to die. No, 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 no. Right. This is no, I don't want to die. 
and like that's really fucked with me recently. I, I don't want to say it's like postpartum or something, but like I definitely had some level of like like mental s- switch go on where I'm like really focused on my mortality in a way that's like I don't want to say a little bit disruptive but I feel like that's something that happens when you become a parent but no one really talks about it mm-hmm. oh espe- yeah and especially too with the the notion that I mean I, I guess you could say this with most things in life you know people always focus on the positive side of things and um you the the struggle that you know women go through in regards to okay this is what you have to do in order to you know raise a healthy and successful child you need to you know follow this 10 point program you need to you know breastfeed and all these other things and then the undue stress that um you know it puts on people that don't fit into those you know listicles of like you have to do these things and yeah it just you know <laughs> it makes you reevaluate everything where it's just like oh yeah none of us have any idea what we're really doing we're just trying our best yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. And, and did you feel like, I guess kind of in part of that, did you feel like, you know, as you were, you know, watching your, you know, significant other start to, you know, experience all the, the pains of pregnancy and everything that, uh, it goes along with it, you know, how, like, did you, I'm sure in many respects, you've probably felt, you know, helpless and are just like, Hey, I'm just trying to, ha- trying to help you, but I, there's only so much I can do. Yeah. I mean, I kind of felt pretty not involved to be honest, probably until like I really started taking care of her. Like I'm the her main caretaker now. Right. Like it's pretty easy for guys to kind of like be, I don't want to say aloof, but like not as connected in a way because you can kind of like, unless you're just super gung ho and you're like, you can kind of like ride on the outside. Oh, totally. And like not be too involved, but that just, that didn't happen to me. Not that I was like trying to, but it, it's a different, it was like, as soon as I started taking care of her on like a daily basis, I developed a relationship with her that was different from what I would have had, had I been normal dad nine to five. So I think I experienced a little more of what like a, a traditional role of a woman would kind of like, where you're like, I take care of this thing eight to 10 hours a day, feed it, change its diapers, hang out with it, entertain it, you know, nap with it. And like you develop this like close knit connection that probably might take a little bit longer for me if had I been like in the traditional dad role of like I'm working nine to five and I took two weeks off and that's it. Like, so I like wasn't necessarily prepared for the amount that I was going to like be emotionally invested. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not that I like, didn't think I would, but like, I don't know. It's like not something that people talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like it's totally. it's all about the sleep and it's all about all the dumb shit. That's like not helpful and not enough about the like, yo, you're going to like be connected to something in a way that like you might not even have been connected to yourself or your significant other. Mm-hmm. And it's going to like change the way in which you look at the world and that can also spark like certain anxieties and, and, you know, uh, uh, it's just a very different 
journey than I think people talk about. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I think, I think to your point, it's because most people experience what you're talking about where it's like the, you know, the, the central male figure doesn't, you know, it, I mean, it's hard, especially if you're talking about it from the perspective of, you know, we don't, we as males do not supply a child anything beyond, you know, change. <laughs> I mean, like we don't, you know, like we obviously don't breastfeed, like there's nothing yeah. beyond just like the sort yeah. of, Hey, I'll change your diaper. And like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. But you know, we're, I remember it's yeah. like my, you know, when my wife, you know, had our son, like she, you know, she had a, a horrible, you know, vaginal tear that like put her in bed for, gosh, it was, yeah. like, it was like three or four weeks. And so I just remember that, that feeling of alienation <laughs> where I was like, yes, I was, I was, yeah, I was looking at my, yeah. ki- I was looking at my kid and being like, dude, are, you, you hurt my wife. And like, yeah, I know I love you, but like, dude, yeah, 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 right. Like you suck. And yeah, it's just, it's so weird. Yeah, no, I had that feeling too. So beginning, I mean, Priscilla had like a double hemorrhage and she was like messed up and she was, she was recovering from that. Her labor was 58 hours long. Like, and then she had, um, a lip tongue tie so she couldn't breastfeed. And it was just like the first month was kind of like insane. And I wasn't really, I wasn't really like, I don't want to say, I wasn't having a bad time, but I was like not connected to like the child in any way, even a little bit like, yo, this kind of sucks <laughs> to be honest. Totally. And, you know, obviously that passes, and, but it was, it's like, no one really talks about those mental things you go into, you know, at all. Like it, I mean, you as a human being, the male animal is sort of designed to like, get someone pregnant, maybe provide for the family and then sort of move on and like keep going. And it's, so it's like, of course, at a basis level, like instinctually there might be like a rub between what is socially acceptable and modern, like mental wishing versus like just plain, like guttural, like, yo, like, I'm an animal. And that's one thing I've learned so much about in the last couple of months is like humans are animals. <laughs> and when we forget that we're animals, we're actually at a disadvantage for like understanding our own mental abilities. And I, and like we are disconnect ourselves from like nature when we really are just animals with a conscious mm-hmm. ability to be conscious of our own consciousness and like that's what makes us really special but it doesn't make us not animals so like sometimes when we can just be it and be like man like this is the animalistic side of me just doing what it does and i have to like allow that to be part of it because if i try to like suppress it or if i try to even like shame myself for it you're just going to end up in even worse places oh absolutely totally and did you um because you were if i'm if i'm correct me if i'm wrong but like you were recording like mm-hmm. when priscilla was a cut like i mean she she was like two weeks post right probably. right it was like you you were probably in this weird suspe- yeah. suspended state of animation <laughs> kind of yeah i mean yeah it definitely is like 
but but even that wasn't that was like normal you know for me it, it got weird like i said when i like developed a relationship with her because it's like i've never liked anything as much as her in my life <laughs> you know what i mean like right it's like a really overwhelming really cool but also kind of scary like i think for me responsibility is a bad word but like most people use the word responsibility, but I use the word like connection. Like I have a really high stakes relationship with her. If that makes sense. Like there's high, the, the stakes are high mm-hmm. between my relationship with her, her well being, my well being, how I interact with her, like more so higher than any other relationship I've ever had in my life. Cause every other relationship I've had in my life, <clears throat> even if they're high stakes, I can, I can uh, pretty much like, kind of walk away from them. What's funny though, is that there are people who wouldn't necessarily feel that way about their children. Cause I remember I was talking like one of my teachers, like talking about this. She's they're like, yeah, you know, and actually there's a lot of people that don't feel they have a high stakes relationship with their children. Um, and because I think of my relationship with my parents, I'm so motivated to like almost go above and beyond so I have this very like overly committed commitment <laughs> to my kid, which is really good, but it's also like kind of scary because it's the only one of the relationships I'm like, yo, like worst comes to worst, like I'm not going anywhere. Like, you know, if, even if my marriage falls apart or even if my, you know, family members pass away or all these things, like this is the one thing that I would like to like give my life for, if that makes sense. And that's like a really like crazy place to be going from, I don't know, just a normal person kind of kicking around, just like doing their thing and going out to dinner and <laughs> playing music. And <laughs> then you're thrust into this like crazy, awesome, amazing relationship. That's hard because it's so meaningful. If that makes sense. I don't, you know, some of it I just don't really understand yet. Cause it's still so new. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I mean the whole, yeah, the whole the whole thing is is so bizarre, and it it changes it, it changes and evolves over time. And I it, the thing that I always reflect on is just how um, interesting it is for you know people of our generation that are involved in a subculture that is so you know youth centered and youth oriented, mm-hmm. and th- and then also you know people like you and I who have stayed active and involved in it. Um, you know how you know we still feel like the you know fifteen year old kids, and I, you know I guess there's some of that that happens within the context of normal society as well. But like the idea of having a kid still, I mean, my son's almost seven and I'm just always like, that's so weird. I'm a dad. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't. uh, Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't add up, um, you know, internally, but then at the same time, I think, you know, we are, um, you know, better equipped to, dive in like, you know, even though it may be, you know, scary, intimidating, whatever adjective you want to put on in front of it, to dive in and like you said, create, you know, be the person that is there and, you know, be a, you know, quote unquote, stay at home dad and like have 
no preconceived notions about that. Uh, you know, it's like, Oh, like you're not the guy, you know, bringing home the bacon or whatever, all those stupid archetypes, you know, but you're able to dive in and be emotionally ready because you've been, you know, emotionally ready for putting yourself up on stage. Well, not, maybe not ready, but like emotionally available to put yourself on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's true. Yeah. I was available to, yeah, it's, it's a very, you know, and like, I'm only what I'm almost eight months in. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, she's only going to get, I'm only, and this scary thing for me is like, I'm only going to get more connected to her. Cause I'm only going to be able to like communicate with her deeper and like, yeah. <laughs> that's also like, oh God. Cause my thing is like the more connected I am to something or someone, the more afraid I am to lose it. So there's a lot of play there where I'm like, oh God, yeah. did I really want to do this? Cause now I'm like, now I got a lot to lose. And that's like, to me, that's, that's like a difficult, was a difficult thing to sort of like, or still is just like be in this situation from before where I'm like, you know what? I don't really have that much to lose. I got a one bedroom apartment. I got some dogs. I got a, I got a, a wife, you know? I mean, yeah, I got the band, but like, that's always in the state of like flux. I've already, I've also kind of always looked at that as something I'm going to lose anyways for years. Cause everyone's always doing that. So you know what I mean? And like, you're just like, <clears throat> now you got this thing. You're like, man, like I don't, I don't want to lose this. And like, it's actually my job instinctually as an animal to like, that's sort of the headspace I'm supposed to be in is take care of this thing at all costs type like mentality. But on more of like an emotional level, I'm like, yeah, I really, really don't want to lose this thing. <laughs> Meaning like even my mortality, like I don't want to miss out on this person's life. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned with my mortality than hers. I think my wife is more concerned with like we got to keep her alive. You know, yeah. I kind of, I kind of have a little bit more faith in um, the baby as like, don't worry, she, you know, she knows what she needs. Like she, she's gonna keep her. She's gonna help us keep her alive. Yeah, I'm more concerned. Like yeah, like. I kind of like stop rock climbing. I kind of like, you know, I'm kind of like scared to go on tour. Like I'm like kind of like in a real, like, like almost like what about Bob phase. <laughs> right, right. Well, you, I mean, cause, cause like theoretically, you know, the quote unquote way things are supposed to go is, you know, you're no, no parent is, a, is supposed to bury their child, you know, Correct. that that's not how. And so like, yeah, your mind, your mind does not go to the, uh, you know, even with presented, I mean, you know, I mean the, even with presented with a circumstance in which, you know, your child has health issues, um, you know, you still do everything possible in order to make sure that that obviously, you know, does not happen. And so, yeah, I understand the faith component of it where it's like, Oh yeah. But then yeah, all you do is look at yourself and be like, all right, what can I do to like, yeah, I'm going to, I want to be here for as long as possible. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I don't even think, I think just so that you can like enjoy it, you know what I mean? Like also like there's like, I don't know. It's really like, there's so much to it that like, it's so strange that nobody talks about these components of like the relational 
<laughs> like thing that you develop with your children. It's not just all I ever heard literally was, man, get your sleep now. Like, you know, make sure like you, you do this and you got to do that and this, but they, no one's ever like, Hey man, so just like, let you know, you might like freak out for like a good six to 12 months about developing a relationship with this thing that you made out of nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's so, no, I, it, totally. It's so dumb too because, like, I you know, I was actually I remember when uh you know the producer of your record, Bo, who you know, longtime friend of mine, we you know, it was shortly <clears throat> after he had his first child, and we were discussing you know how we as touring musicians, like, if you've ever toured, you know what it's like to have a child. You, like you don't sleep, yeah, 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 yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. sleep. You have no idea like, you know, where you are going to be in regards to that. But it's like for, for a normal person who's like used to the, you know, eight hours of sleep or whatever, and maybe hasn't done that. Like, Oh, I haven't pulled an all nighter since college. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It's yeah. like, you just feel like you're on tour, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why for me, it hasn't been so much like, like I'm also the like logistical guy in the band. Like I'm, I'm, I've run bands and tour managed bands and worked at record labels and dealt with a lot of like babysitting. So it's like, to me, that part of the job, I guess that's the thing I also got to remember too, is like everybody's so different because everyone's coming into being a parent from so many different yeah. aspects. Like on one level, I haven't been overwhelmed by the work. I've been overwhelmed by like the emotional connection that I've had. Cause I've pretty much been void of that. I mean, other than my wife, like, you know, I have some close friends, but other than that, like, I'm not the kind of person that has like a network of like, like, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have this network of like really, really close friends that I had this relationship of like, you know, I die for you type thing. Yeah. No offense, no offense to my friends, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, so developing that relationship with this thing that like, I made was way, way more, has been way more difficult to like wear than it has of like, oh, yo, you're going to get woken up at four in the morning. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like I did that. That's like kind of my life, our life. It's like, yeah, it's been more of the relational stuff that's been like really difficult for me. Whereas someone who maybe has like a more concrete like family system and like grew up really close and really connected with their parents and their siblings, um, they might feel like, oh my God, like this is the hardest thing I've ever done because for me, when I say it's the hardest thing I've ever done, I'm talking about something completely different than maybe right. someone else is like, you know, like actually just like having the strength to like the work. Yeah, totally. The work. I'm just sort of used to like operating on like a, yo, you got to get 50 things done. Like yesterday, it's like, yo, I'm booking flights for everyone. And then I'm like <clears throat> paying taxes and I'm watching my baby and I'm doing my QuickBooks, sending out 1099s to everyone while posting on the internet about the new record and responding to things and like right. retweeting this, but then also <laughs> like, you know, making lunch. And then I went to jujitsu and it's like, so it's like for me as a person that's like kind of almost used work as a way to like get away from things it's been natural for me to just be like all right like just add the baby here and i'll just you know yeah I'll, deal I'll, with I'll, it. I'll tour i'll tour manage the situation <laughs> yeah we'll tour manage we'll figure it out it's not a big deal like she doesn't that she doesn't even need that much like i've dealt with i've dealt with many people <laughs> fans that need much more than my baby right <laughs> 
Totally, totally. <laughs> she needs she needs milk, sleep, and like a little bit of entertainment. Like people in bands, like man, they need a lot more than that. Yeah, it's like it, it, yeah. Technically, she's not getting a per diem, but like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not getting paid. But hold on, I actually have to grab her. I'll be right back. Oh my! I get to tell you about one of my favorite things I've probably ever got before. Away, away is literally the best luggage that you will ever use. They offer high quality pieces of luggage that is designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way that you travel. It's unbelievably awesome because they offer a variety of colors. It's lightweight and made with premium German polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. Trust me, this thing is not getting scrunched or broken into. And it features a TSA-approved combination lock, four 360-degree spinner wheels, and a patent-pending compression system to help overpackers. And both sides of the carry-on are able to charge anything that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge will power your iPhone five times. It's awesome. You can just basically sit there, plug in your phone, charge it from your suitcase. It's awesome. I have one of these, and I have traveled with it probably maybe about nine or ten times. And not only do I get compliments on it at the airport, which is ridiculous, like who compliments someone on a piece of luggage, but I've gotten multiple compliments and I just love packing with it because it's super versatile. Uh, You can pack for two people. You can pack for one person. I've used it for my kiddo and myself. And it's just, it's great. It's, I, I can't say anything more positive things about it. You need to buy this. And shipping is free within the lower 48 states. And what's even cooler, what's even cooler is they give you 100 days with it. You know, vibe with it, travel with it. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund. And thanks to Away's lifetime guarantee, if anything breaks, they'll fix it. So you literally have nothing to lose. So let me get you $20 off. Go to awaytravel.com slash words and use the promo code words doing checkout. Please, I want to give you $20 off this amazing suitcase. Away to travel.com slash words promo code words for $20 off your away suitcase i love this buy it okay bye in a world where everyone is confined to their homes society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of hulu or perhaps on a shelf of dvds you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions hi I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we got like 35 minutes of nap, so... Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. <laughs> Not babies on the podcast, but <laughs> that's 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 completely fine. She'll be okay. The, but uh, uh, yeah, she's. I've dealt with artists, including people in my own band, that are much needier than my baby. 
It's amazing. The, um, you know, since you were, um, yeah, I, I had the luxury of listening to the record kind of, you know, as it was getting recorded and stuff like that. And it was, um, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, feedback from people that of the songs that you've released so far, where it's just like, you know, it's basically the amalgamation of everything that, you know, census fail has always kind of been in regards to, you know, the, the catchy nature of it, but then it also still retains the heaviness that you've done in the past couple records. I'm sure it's just super fun to be like, Oh yeah. Like I can combine both of these things and it's totally, it's totally great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like the risk census fail has taken because we now leaves us in this position where we can like, kind of do a bunch of different things and like we're not pigeonholed and we can sort of surprise people and keep things interesting and like that gives us that gives us like an ability that not every band has whereas I don't know I never really expected I'd be doing this now like because it's like man it's hard to keep people I don't want to say interested. It's a bad word. I think like invested. Yes. Exactly. I think invested in music that they listened to when they were young to continue on to listen to for the rest of their life. Like that is, that is, I don't want to say it takes work. It sort of takes luck work, taking risks, but then also just being brutally honest. Like it takes a lot to 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 do that and some of the ups and downs that we've put the band through have sort of almost been to get in this position because like if we had never gone and done some heavier stuff then coming back and doing this right now wouldn't feel like a breath of fresh air it would feel like oh well you know kind of been doing this for the last 17 years 16 years like eh, you know it is what it is but it's like having been able to showcase different sides of like writing and then come back and like being versatile and and, like being open to just like not necessarily always doing it for success or money or whatever, like kind of almost opens you up to then people being like, you know what? I really appreciate this band. And like uh, it's, that's what you want. You want people invested in you beyond what you are musically and that's i don't know i don't really know you just gotta like you gotta like take risks and be yourself and have an opinion and it's almost like as stupid as it sounds it's almost like when a wrestler gets popular like like a wrestler's i've everything i do now is based on wrestling it's like wrestlers go through so many character changes and change their styles and change whether they're heel or they're like face and they go through ups and downs and some programs don't work and like, but they have these long careers and people are invested in them, not in their character, but in like the person behind the character. Someone like Chris Jericho is a good example. Like he's just an awesome wrestler, but he's also all around just someone that's like, you're like, yeah, this guy's cool. And like, I want to like, I want to see what he does not just in wrestling, but like in his life. And like nowadays you kind of got to like have something behind whatever it is you're doing. You can't just be like the wrestler or the football player. People are like, want more, if that makes sense. 
Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, no. I, I think it's that is, like we were talking about earlier, where it's like you know being involved in a, in a youth subculture. You're, you know, your band theoretically, like you know, you you guys are are death warmed over like three or four times. You know? <laughs> oh God, you that's know? what I mean. Like, right, the youth culture, which is what I wanted this record to be, and I'm really stoked that like Bo and I were able to accomplish this, and Gavin. But like, we want to be youthy and angsty, but mature. And I want to like give the people that have been listening to us like that sense of like wonder and angst that they had when they were 16, but like not in a lame way, but in a way that's like, oh yeah, I'm 32 and like, I'm not dead and I still like this and like, I'm not like past my ability to like be stoked about music and, you know, cause a lot of bands, I don't want to say they give up. I mean, they, they definitely give up and I don't think their fans necessarily do. I think there's this perception that like people age out of music, but like I haven't aged out of like David Bazan, you know, like I didn't just say, yeah, you know, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm like 34 and, you know, David Bazan saw something I listened to when I was like 24. I, I can't listen to this anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. people don't do that. People don't do that. I think artists age themselves out for a variety of different reasons, sort of thinking that they can't just like connect with their fans like they used to, but they can. I just, it just takes a level of effort and like purposefulness. You know what I mean? Like to do that and you know, as you talk with and write with more people and like you realize not everybody's so interested in sort of that connection with their fans. They're sort of more interested in like self-serving purposes, which the last two records absolutely were for me. (laughs) Um, Right. Totally. Yeah. You were just, well, I, I mean, I think it's like when you have the ability to do what you've done where it's like, you know, taking census fail from, you know, the, the, the beginnings of where it, you know, worked as a traditional, you know, band. And then once it phased over to the fact of just like, well, yeah, you're the singular voice. Like, yes, it's known as census fail. And, you know, that is what it is and what it always will be. But once you were able to, you know, use this essentially, as a you know a vanity project and i don't mean that in a, in a no 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 yeah yeah i mean that's you know, I don't, yeah you you can do you can do your own thing and the, like the ability to just release two super heavy records and be like all right chew on that it's like who you know all it, in a way it was purging the people who simply just interacted with you as this you know entertainer and that's kind of it yeah yeah that's true and then now now it's like oh wow like i can i can listen to this and still be like totally down with it even though i may have hated the last two records or you know vice versa where they like the last two records and they're like oh there's still enough in there where i can get into it yeah 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 i mean and you gotta be like you just you just have to be willing to take risks too because i think people also like relate to like you're never gonna like write a great record if you're not willing to take the risk of like writing a great record. If that makes, I don't really know what that means, but it makes sense in my head. It's like if you don't spend the time and like effort, I mean, on like a level of every little detail, 
you're just not even gonna you're not even gonna be you're not even gonna be in the game if that makes sense it's like and a lot of bands nowadays for whatever reason for a lot of different reasons i mean also too because it's just me i'm not working with five other people who have different opinions of what sets and fail should be and that's really what happens with a lot of bands it's like guys like it's really hard for four or five or however many people to like be on the same page from the time they were 17 into their thirties and forties, it's like you got people pulling things in all different directions and like, it's hard to do with me. It's like, Hey, I want to do this and this is what I want to do. And there's no one else going. Yeah. I mean, I like this is, this is catchy, but maybe we should try to do something more mature. Maybe we should have more of this. It's just sort of like, here's my vision for census fail. And it makes it, a little bit easier to accomplish that than say if we had a band, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. honest or, 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 or opposing opinions of what census fail should be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like wrong, wrong or right. That those are, like you said, where the divisions happen and even not even, it doesn't even have to be a division from a stylistic perspective. It can just be a division in regards to, Oh, I'm quitting the band because I have to go to school. Like, yeah. And, and you, you know, you deal with that, but on a, a level where you're able to, you know, either mitigate or control that because you're just like, well, you know, I, I can't get too attached to this because, you know, I am literally paying you like an employee and I don't mean to make that sound simply transactional, yeah. but the, you know, that's, that's what it is. And I, I think, you know, because of that people can, you know, it, it's not, it's not easy to get to a position of what you're in now. Like obviously you, you arrive there through a million different (laughs) channels. So it's it's not like anyone could be like, Hey buddy, can you give me advice for how to get to where you're at? You're like, no, that's not impossible. I mean, mean, honestly, I'd say to, I'd say to people, it's like, I wouldn't be here if, if we had five people in the band, because it wouldn't be economically sustainable. So it's, it's hard, man. It's, it is not, like in this day and age, it is very hard to economically sustain five people's adult lives being in a band, but one person, absolutely. And like, that's sort of what I, I don't want to tell people to be solo artists, but like, it's, this is how I got here. Really. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, if it wasn't financially sustainable, it would be very hard to invest as much time, which means you're not able to invest as much effort which means the product and quality is not as good, which I think is what we're finding on like a level of, Oh, you don't like that. I think we're finding on a level of like some smaller bands as we're seeing like, yo, why aren't bands like breaking through? Like what's going on here? Why are they not, why are they not writing records like bleed American? Like, you know, where are those records? And the the simple fact is like when you don't have as much time and you can't put in as much effort, you don't get out the quality of, you know what I mean? Of, of, I don't want to say product, but like the end product isn't, isn't bleed American, (laughs) you know? And like, right. It's, uh, you know, when we wrote still searching, we spent, I think we spent, uh, I don't know, a $220,000 and we didn't take a dime from it. You know, and that might've been kind of stupid, but we spent all that money on the record and we wrote and recorded that record over a period of like 
nine months of solid effort, but it like also shows. So it's like, I don't know. It's a really difficult situation that everyone's sort of in here where it's like when you get older, I mean, as when you're young, you're like, I'm living at home, whatever. Like what else do I have to do? But as you age and you're like priorities shift to like sustaining life, um, I don't know. I'm going to get you some milk. I'm warming it up. You know, you gotta, you gotta like find that balance. And like I said, it takes the risk. It takes the risk of like, every time we go on tour, every time we put out records, I further kick the can down the road of the band. It's a risk as to like, is this going to like just fold? Like, cause we could just put these songs out and everyone could be like, yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's been 16 years and we're done. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, t- t- totally. Totally. Well, yeah, it's like once you, you know, the, the eggs are in the proverbial basket, you're like, well, I, you know, I've, I've got, and, and when I say no choice, but to focus on this, it's not like, you know, you are a irredeemable human and you wouldn't be able to figure out anything else to do with your life. But it's just like, well, this is the way that this is pointing. So I have to explore this as much as possible. Yeah. And then, had I not, I haven't been this invested in the band probably ever, but I also have so much more to lose now. So it's kind of like vice versa. I probably wouldn't have written such a good record had I not been as invested in like, yo, I got to like make this work for my family. Right. And like, right. You know, that it's almost like, like a contract year in like baseball or something like that. Like, yo, I better, I gotta like get my shit together and I gotta fucking hit home runs. Right. I'll be it's a free like, agent. I'm, yeah, exactly. I gotta sign like a six, seven year contract. Cause that's the way somebody, Steve Evans told me when, cause we knew nothing about making records and he'd made a lot of records, a lot of good ones. And we had no idea. We weren't we kind of stepped in our in lucky we were able to write songs together and he was able to sort of like manipulate them and make them better than they actually were but he was like you know you have to look at your record and recording process as like it's going to dictate the next five years of your life like because you're probably not going to put out a record for another three two to three years but like your who you are and what you're doing is is five years on a record like even if you put another record out it still takes time for people to hear it digest it like you know right now people are are finally digested the record that come came out three years ago and now have opinions ranging from like it was really good to that was awful and like now the next two years is this thing so it's like you're really like five years out what is meaningful. So I looked at it as like, yo, this is like a contract year. We got to make this like special. This, this record has to be like, you know, better than every other record. Right. And if you don't even like shoot for that, you're probably not even going to come close. I mean, right. I know because we've done that. We've, I've written records that were like, yeah, you know, like it's good. We feel good about it. Is it better than the last one? Eh, right. Yeah. Maybe. But maybe. You know what I mean? And like, we weren't like, yo, this has to be this. And uh, when you do that, you're at least putting yourself in the headspace of like, okay, like we have an opportunity 
to write a record like that. What? Tripping.com? What is Tripping.com? It's only the best and easiest way to book lodging when you're traveling. So did you know that the average family visits five websites when booking a vacation rental? That's absurd. Why are you going around the internet like like it's 2001? It's ridiculous. You can spend less time planning your trip and more time chilling out with Tripping.com. It is the number one site for vacation rentals. So with Tripping.com, OneSearch lets you filter, compare, and sort over 10 million available properties on trusted sites like Verbo, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and tons more. And don't, don't wonder if you're getting the best deal. You'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So please don't forget, and if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation, go to Tripping.com slash words today. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash words. This, it's just so easy. I've used it multiple times now, and I like my wife and I are going to Milwaukee in a couple weeks. Book something on tripping.com. It's amazing. Super simple, super easy. You don't need to go to 5,000 different websites. Please go to tripping.com slash words and enjoy your trip. No stress. All right, now on with the show. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And, and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, and I, I think, you know, that something that, you know, kind of occurs to me as you're, you're laying this out to me, you, you know, you, you push yourself in, you know, many dis- different circumstances and, you know, you worked with people you hadn't worked with, you know, sort of, uh, you know, officially, uh, you know, and working with Bo and stuff like that. But the, the thing that, you know, makes me, you know, feel excited about how positively people are, are reacting to this is the fact that, you, you know, cause I mean, you've seen this happen a million times where, you know, bands feel like they're in the position that you're in where it's like, we got to make this next record pop. So you're working with like, you know, this insanely expensive producer and like, you know, you, you get, you get to play this game of like, all right, we got to get on the radio. We got to do this. We yeah, got to do that. Yeah. And like, but you, you know, you obviously didn't do that, but you knew that you needed to, you know, get this on a, a you know, a, a wider plane, but you still worked with people that you were, you know, comfortable with and you had to have this, you know, uh, ability to work in a comfortable system. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's cool because that, that, that structure can work. Like you don't, you know, bands don't need no, to feel- No, I mean, Mark Trombino wasn't Mark Trombino when they recorded bleeding, bleed American. You right. know what I mean? Like, or, or like a lot of these guys, like, Jerry Finn wasn't Jerry Finn when he recorded Dear You or anything. Like everybody 
is in a position where they're capable, but people don't understand producers don't make records. Bands make records and producers make them better. It's like if what you're walking into the studio with is not good, really good producers will make it good. And if you bring in amazing shit, really good producers will make it classic and timeless. And it's like, I've been in on both sides where I've seen like us bring in garbage and really good producers come out with like, you know, this is tolerable. This is good senses fail. But like when we brought McTurnan, you know, fucking gold, we made fucking timeless records. Same thing with Steve Evans. But like, you know, when we brought in, you know, garbage, we made it tolerable. Right. And right. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a little bit of both. Like it's a little bit of both. Everybody's got to do their part. Like it's really hard for a producer or even a, a writer to like just make something that's not there there. But if you do already have like something there, it's sort of easy. I mean, this was not a hard record to make. It was not hard. It was not difficult. I didn't, we didn't labor around going, what are we going to do? You know, it was like, yo, that's sick. Let's do that. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. Totally. There wasn't this like anguishing process of like, you know, we, 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 we sat on this bridge for weeks and we couldn't figure out what to do. And then finally he played this note and it was like magic. It was like, no, we like went, Da, 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 da. And we're like, yo, that's sick. And I went, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, it'd be cool. These lyrics that I had like written over here. And that was it. It's <laughs> right. Right. Good. I don't think good music, good music, music isn't like complex Mac mathematics. It's not like goodwill hunting where it's like, yo, someone's got to figure this out. It should, it should be natural and easy. <laughs> totally. And if, Here's the math. Here's the math equation that will get you the song of the year. Totally, totally. You know, if it's hard, it's probably not very good, and that's just my experience. Maybe other people's experience are different, but like my experience has always been like, yo, if we're sitting around worrying about why we can't figure out the transition to the bridge, let's just write another bridge. Yeah. Or like, let's just write another part. Like, and that's something that I learned about songwriting you know, over 16 years is like, it should just flow. And if it doesn't flow, it's probably not good. And it probably is not going to sound good or feel good because the audience is going to go, I don't know why, but that part just seems weird, you know, like, mm -hmm. and that's not to say there's no hard work, but it's just like the hard work should be in continuing to write parts when they don't feel good not necessarily just trying to jam that part into the song because like, and this is where the band thing plays a big role. If the guitar player is in love with the guitar, Bo and I talk about this all the time. If the guitar player is in love with that guitar part and it's just not working for the vocals. When the producer of the band goes, yeah, this isn't working. The guitar player is going to fight for that guitar part. Right. He's like, I'm you not getting rid of this. Yeah. Yeah. You end up with a song that could have been better but wasn't because of this or, or like you're not exploring different options because everybody's got a hold on their one part that they need or like songs will make records because people have a solo on it or like, I mean, it's just a, so what I mean sometimes is like when you are the only person in the band, you're not 
running into roadblocks of like that. You know, I'm not sitting there going, man, you know what? Like that guitar part has to be on the record because I wrote it. <laughs> like, not that I would have an ego in a band like that, but like when you're young, like it's hard to like let that go. And, and you, I bet you'd be amazed about like how many bands and how many songs that could have been great songs never even materialized because there's that dynamic of like, I'm not, uh, we're not, we're not even gonna put this song on the record because, you know, Joey doesn't like the way that the drums sound. And it's like, are we going to have a whole argument about it that's going to break up the band or are we just going to like ditch that song? <laughs> right, totally. What's what's the easier of two options? And uh, it's something that will, you know, we'll actually be able to release this record. <laughs> and, and then that's the stuff you learn along the way. And like, but that's where a good producer comes in. And like, you know, someone like Bo probably steps in and goes, hey, guys, like this part sucks. Like if you, you know, but then even again, like the producer's got to worry about his role and his job, too, because He's he's not not only working for the band, but he's also working for the label. So it's like a precarious situation of like, you know, I got to make sure this band trusts me, but I'm also trying to deliver something so that like the label trusts me. Yeah. Um, Well, and it's a whole different game. Right. Totally. Well, and you always, you always want to, you know, ultimately, uh, yeah, (laughs) you, you have to put, put it through all these filters where it's like, all right, like, you know, is this the band's feedback? Is this the label's feedback? Like, how important is it? <laughs> and what, what what ultimately do I feel will serve the record best? Because I think at the end of the day, that's all that everybody wants, you know? And Yeah, I mean, everybody's going for the same goal just from a million different angles. And, like, the more cooks you have in the kitchen, I personally think the worse it makes. I've had, like, two cooks, and I've had, like, 15 cooks. And when there were more cooks, it... It just didn't, it didn't help. It didn't make anything better. Yeah. But that's a problem is like, if you got two stupid cooks in the kitchen, then yeah, it's not going to be good either. So <laughs> that's also not to say yeah. like, you totally. know what I mean? Like totally, you gotta, you, but, gotta, you gotta find the trusted people around you. That's for sure. It's a, it's a hard world to make music in as a rock band because like you're culturally not really relevant right now. And that was also something that I, I took into consideration too. It's like, yo, the music I'm making, what? The music I'm making isn't even culturally relevant. So like, what can I do to make it culturally relevant? And like, I kind of like had this millennial angst idea of like, well, I fucking hate baby boomers and I've always fucking hated baby boomers. And like, now that I'm 30, that hasn't changed. And I'm actually probably more angry about them and my situation because of them now than I was when I was like 18. So I bet there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. So like, why not base a record around like having a kid and dealing with that and dealing with loss and dealing with drug addiction and dealing with some sociopolitical stuff in a way that's not political, but more social commentary. And that was my guess of like, maybe this is how I can take this music and make it culturally relevant rather than, you know, I mean, like I listen to Cardi B and I listen to like what's culturally relevant. And I know Census Fail isn't anything near that. So I got to be realistic too. Like, how can I be honest for to what, to who and what I am and not like 
chase a trend, but also like not just be like, yeah, I'm just going to write records about killing girls. You right. know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Because it's not, not cool either. That's not going to fucking work. That's not like, it's not 2002. That's not tolerable. And that's not going to, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. You, yeah, you that was also like a conversation with Bo and I would have. I'm like, well, what can we do to like make this real and relatable and relevant without being like, yeah, let's throw a trap verse in, you right. know, like I'm not going to fucking do that. Like I'm not, right. I'm not an asshole. I'm not going to fucking like make trap music because trap music is cool now, you know? But so, I do think the, cool thing is there is a lot of that culture that's sort of interested in the nostalgic emo sort of like self-hate and sadness culture which kind of just times out perfectly for me right 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 totally um last two things i want to hit on before i let you go was what you you moved to arizona you've been out there now for what like okay okay what is that about (laughs) she's got something to say yeah i understand and that, that's the thing, too, where they, they don't have words to communicate, so all they can do is yell, obviously. Yeah, we're in that phase, you know, when the yelling, we're in the like, oh, I can yell? And you're going to, like, come over and go, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I don't have to, like, cry and do the whole big thing. I could just, like, blood-curdling <laughs> scream? Yeah. That's a lot easier for me emotionally to just scream once rather than do, like, a whole cry thing. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, no, we moved to Arizona. I envision my life being like sedentary and like oh, I bought a house and I got a kid and I'm going to stay here forever. And no, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be that person. Cause <clears throat> so finds out we have to move back to LA for like five months so that Priscilla can finish school. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Like, yeah, you're, you're kind of like, this is my goal is like, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to live here. I'm going to live on a cul-de-sac and I'm going to be here for 30 years. And like now the like reality of that is like probably pretty small. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. I think things change. Things change. (laughs) And I guess, I don't know. I have this vision of like, yeah, you have a kid, you settle down and that's it. But like one, that's not me. And two, like, I don't even know if that's like real life anymore. Yeah. I mean, well, you just moved, but you've been in the same place forever and you've been pretty sedentary. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I've always built my life around the, the, the notion that this is a desire of mine and I want to be able to dip in and out of the, you know, touring lifestyle when it makes sense. But like, yeah. but yeah, it, it doesn't, I mean, a lot of the times, especially when you're pursuing, you know, a, a, a life of art, uh, you have, you, you have to be used to the change and t- yeah. th- that's it. I mean, I, like I said, like I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen with the record, but we've had, you know, we have a lot of like opportunities. So I've been going back and forth. Like we're going to do a pop-up shop with Donut Friend and Guisados and like have like a, an art show with Jared Wiener and like raffle that stuff off for charity. And they're going to have, I think Lyman might get involved with some of St. Archer stuff and for the release of the record. And so we're doing that. And then we're going to do like, um, we're doing this thing at the Hard Rock Casino Oh, we got, I'm doing emo night. And like, we had to find a new drummer. We had to shoot a video and like, I couldn't afford living in LA. Right. It's like, I have to be there. So it's like, that's kind of why I moved here. Right. 
Because it's like, yo, I don't want to live where my house can burn down. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. Neither does she? No. I don't want to live in the desert, but I, I kind of need to have access to like LA or New York. Neither of which are really financially at this point in my life and my wife's life, because my wife is still sort of like almost finishing a degree and like isn't 100% working. Like, we just don't, we couldn't live in LA, but it's like, I have to be in LA all the time. Right. Especially when we're releasing a record, you yeah. know, and like, I didn't realize I'd be going back and forth so much. Cause like, I mean, last record, you know, was yeah. a release. We released it. It came out and you know, there wasn't as much like buzz or fanfare around it. We also didn't have a manager and like, so I'm like in LA every two weeks now. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I don't even like feel like I live here because then I'm going to go on tour and then I'm going to come back here and then we're going to go to Peru and then I'm going to go on tour again and then we're going to go to the East Coast and then we got to move back to LA and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just moving, man. It's just moving. Well, at, at, least, it, at least it's exciting things that you're moving around for, you know, the, the, the promise of, um, you know, Priscilla's degree and then the fact that, yeah. you know, they, I mean, it's it, all good stuff. It's not like, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like we're moving around because there are, there's illnesses in the family, which is, you know, probably an inevitability as well. And like, yeah, you know, you yeah. do that when you need to do that because we all live. I mean, that's unfortunately the problem is like her parents, we didn't necessarily want to move away from family, but like we just couldn't afford, we don't want to, I didn't want to live out in the far reaches of the valley you know, and burn like figuratively and literally, you know, like, uh, plus she has MS. So it's like just not even healthy to be in the like world there. So we had to do something, but it's like, there's not, you know, when you leave LA, there's not, you can go to Vegas. That Vegas isn't really my scene. So, um, you know, it was kind of like, well, what's the next one? It was like Flagstaff. Yeah, <laughs> or like, how, right. How about, yeah. How about Arizona? That's close enough. So yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I mean, like I like it. It's cool. And I was able to buy a house and I'm super thankful for that. And we have a home base and, um, yeah, we'll see, you'll, yeah. you'll see where that takes you in the future. See where that takes me. In the, yeah. I don't, I've never lived anywhere other than my childhood home for like, three three or three years right that's been the cycle <laughs> yeah and it's just like i'm at some point gonna stop moving but like it's kind of weird you know i mean you know once they hit like five or six you gotta like go okay we're staying here totally you're like well, oh, yeah i gotta go to school and got it yeah yeah exactly you don't want to you know <laughs> you don't want to put them in uh you know where they have to uh, develop a whole new group of friends each six months it's like that's not fun for anybody you don't want to do i mean if you have to do that because of like a really good opportunity or like a right another extenuating circumstance you do it but it's not like you're not like well i don't want to live here anymore we're gonna go here or i don't want to live here we're gonna go here like you don't do that so we're still like years away from that like situation so i think we're just gonna like enjoy the like fluidity of we could just go live here for like six months and it doesn't matter because she's a baby yeah totally totally you know um the last thing i want to hit on just because you you know i mean you mentioned it earlier and you know i know you've dabbled in it in regards to you know doing like the the quote-unquote dj you know emo nights and that sort of stuff and the um 
you know, I mean, I, I mean, obviously it makes sense for a person of your, you know, your pedigree to be asked to do these things. And, you know, I, I'm sure it, it's fun. And, I, you know, people have strong opinions on whether or not, <laughs> you know, this, uh, the whole emo night thing, uh, you know, it should be commercialized as it is or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're just looking at it as an opportunity to, you know, spread the word that, yeah, since it's failed, you know, like, yeah, yeah, we still exist. We still put out records. Like hopefully, hopefully you remember yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I I kind of have mixed feelings on it as far as like people trying to like copyright and like be like, I can't, you know, emo night is hard. We're emo night. It's like, yeah, like I, whatever, man, you're playing a bunch of people's music. Like, let's be realistic to what you're doing. (laughs) Right. You did have a decent idea, but that doesn't mean you own the like, like, yeah, the genre. No one's there because of you guys. They're there because of the bands that made this music and the connection to it. And this is one way that people can easily come out, connect with other people, listen to the music they love. And like, yeah, you know, um, so I'm all for it. But I also think there is a little level of like, you know, let's not get an ego about like, whose emo night is better or bigger or more important or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? That type of thing. Like as long as like everybody's super chill about like what it is that's happening. Yeah. What it is that's actually happening. Not this big idea of like, well, we're curating this brand of lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. Like LA, New York bullshit. Um, that's not real. That's gonna also also is a fad because there will be a time when people are like, "Yeah, emo night." Yeah, yeah. see you Something later. Like, yeah, just for whatever reason, because that's the reality of of the world we live in, and and that's gonna happen. To say it's not gonna happen is ridiculous. So, um, you know, cash in while you can and do these things, and you know, people come out and have a good time. I mean, they're kind of fun. I mean, I don't. I don't mind them. Like I don't yeah. get up there and play cursive and hot water and you know, sunny day. I get up there and play like Avril Lavigne. Yeah, I know. She hates it. I play Avril Lavigne and like fucking simple plan. And I don't, you know, I kind of like get what it is. Whereas like, I think some people are coming from a different perspective of like, this isn't even emo. And it's like, that's like the old, the old, old man, Still, it's like, yo, like, you got to give that up. It's pretty much a catchphrase for pop music in the early to mid 2000s. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you could call it the aughts. They just got called emo, okay? Like, Kelly Clarkson wrote an emo song and it was popular. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know mean? So, it's like, totally. It's it, it just sort of like, that's just the catchphrase that happened. It made sense. It worked. And that's what stuck. Like, trap music is right now what's popular and like some of it's not even trap. You know what I mean? Or like you have Katy Perry doing trap music and she's not trap. You know what I mean? So it's like it happens all every decade has a genre that defines it. And then pop stars and other people try to capitalize on that. And that was what the two thousands were early two thousands were, emo music so i kind of any anything early 2000s kind of fits in my emo night playlist 
Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it makes, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, no, no matter what, you're always going to have, um, you know, people stake their corners in regards to the, you know, different genres of music and, you know, what classifies as this and what classifies as that. Um, you know, the, but like you said, the, the, you know, commercialization of it, I think that's, you know, understandably so. That's where people are just kind of like, oh, it's kind of weird. But like you said, also the fact that, you know, as long as these are, are, are relatively, you know, chill endeavors and people are, are doing it, you know, ostensibly for the right reasons then you know these these things can kind of coexist but yeah once you get into the uh the empire building of it all that's when you know i think people are just like yeah what are you what are you talking about because like you said it's you know it's built on it's built on a shifting foundation that like that that could change in six months and then you're done (laughs) yeah yeah then it's over and then like people will probably go see those bands play songs for the rest of their life but they're not going to go to emo night or maybe they will i don't know people still go to 80s night it's like to me it's always just been like 80s night ladies 80s how do you like make that yours versus the other person's you know what (laughs) you know it's like totally ladies night at you know ladies 80s it's like but i came up with that mine spelled ladies with an actual eight right (laughs) you know and it's like yeah, sick, man. Like, you're going to play 80s music, which is such a large genre of music, and also, like, every other bar is doing it. I kind of envision it, and it's kind of become that. It's like there's an emo night in every city, as there should be, since it was a defining genre for... Nationwide, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Nationwide, and, like... The funny thing is they do this shit in Europe all the time. Every time you go to Europe, the club turns into a rock dance club afterwards. Afterwards, yeah, exactly. So to me, it was like, oh, yeah, this finally got popular in America. A bunch of people getting drunk and just falling around to like rock music. Like I've been seeing that for like a decade in Europe. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And no, so, so, to me, it wasn't like this. It was like, oh, you finally caught on. Like, you know, America finally wants to listen to rock music out of the bar. Yeah, totally. It's like that's that that's that that's where people want to exist, and it's like, oh, okay, all right. That's 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 what they're doing right now. And then who knows? It, you know, it could be uh, a year later, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, yeah, emo night doesn't exist, but uh, Spice Girls night exists on a nationwide level, you know, or whatever. It's like it'll shift to something else, and that that's what will happen. Yeah, I, I, there are people. Some of my friends are fucking like hate it. They think it's so stupid, like. <laughs> Not people in bands, but like people that are fans that are like, you're going to go to emo night, but you won't go to see any of these bands that still play and like still are playing these songs, <laughs> which so, I think is really funny that it, it's it, it's the the iron. The irony yeah. is definitely thick there where it's just like, so like you wouldn't go to support the actual band, but you would go to a room that is playing that actual band. <laughs> But that speaks to like the popularity of the genre in that time frame. Yep. You know what I mean? Where it's like there were a lot of casual fans, which is why when we did Taste of Chaos, number one, there were 10,000 people at every show because it wasn't just like, you know, Ray who's into fucking the first step and being like straight edge you know (laughs) you know what i mean it's like totally yo this is like joey he's the quarterback and he also likes my chem and he's coming to the arena show you know what i mean like that's the guy who's also going to go to emo night but he's not he doesn't even know that my chem's not touring anymore he doesn't fucking know you know like he doesn't know since it's failed changed genres and then went back like 
he just might have heard the new song and you know he went to emo night yep so it's like it kind of speaks to like the popularity of it of like yeah you have these people that like wouldn't be caught dead going to emo night but they're also probably still involved in the music scene and going to shows and you know yeah so it's it's interesting because it shines a light on like because now i have a perspective on how what that like when i was a part of it i had no idea it was culturally or like as big as it was and like i still would love someone or maybe me to do like a documentary on like the music on what that was and like why it happened and like how it happened and then it's ultra ultimate sort of demise and like i just think it'd be cool because you have a lot of like people that it's influenced like you know like like um like Lil Uzi is like a fan of Paramore. Like you have like Halsey, like like senses fail. Like you have people that are like now big deal people that were influenced by this style of music, you know, which is super cool. So it, it like clearly was something. And it, but now that you look at it, you're like, man, we were like, it was like being in a band in the like eighties, like being in like, Metallica. It was the equivalent of that. But when you're in it, you didn't, you didn't feel like you were, you know, (laughs) totally. I'm just fucking some guy in a band and we're playing this fucking arena. And like, I don't know, you know, but now perspective, you're like, yo, like that was crazy. That's definitely not happening right now. <laughs> right. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm just existing in an experience and then only with perspective you're able to look back and just be like, that was that like I don't even know how that could have happened. I guess I mean I'm glad it did, but like I don't even know how that could have happened. Yeah, I think it's a perfect I think I and I said this in an interview recently, I guess this could be the last thing, but like the music mirrors what's going on culturally. So like then it was like a bunch of people that were young impacted by nine 11. So it's like, as we all became of like age as like adults, we were faced with this like reality of like, yo, the world is like a fucking dangerous, shitty, scary place. At least that's what I took from it. And like putting that into perspective and like being that sort of like, companion for a generation was that musical style. Whereas like, you know, for Woodstock and stuff, it was about like expression and drug use. And like, that was the generation, like our generation, millennial generation pretty much is like bookended of nine 11, you know, like, like you can like see a definitive change in innocence ending on nine 11. And then like, that genre of music rose to prominence because I think it like filled a, a youth culture gap that like, they're like, well, what are, how are we supposed to process the fact that like thousands of people died in an attack and now like a bunch of people are going to war and we have this president that we don't like. And like, how do we do How do we deal with that? Like, and musically it was the perfect companion, which is why I, think now i don't think it's going to be emo music but i do think it's you're going to see you know for the obama years things were a little like you had mgmt you had a little more like dance music a little more like loosey goosey sort of like we don't need to listen to stuff that's that serious because you know i mean shit's good you know 
for the most part, I mean, it's not, you know, it wasn't obviously all good, but there was a lot of like ease in the culture. And now you're seeing like, oh shit, like people are going to start listening to more serious things again because we're in a position where for the most part, millennials and youth culture is completely and utterly at odds with the government. I mean, as, as, as you really look at it, like pop culture is the opposite of what is happening on like a, uh, like a political movement now. So it's like, I feel like you'll have a rise in some more music. That's a little bit like, like you see with like Lil peep and like some of this shit, like that's like dark as fuck. A lot of that stuff, but that I think is going along and like highlighting this, you know, ebb and flow with what's happening on a political cultural level and like sort of letting people know like, yo, there's a lot of people that are like dying of drug addiction and like a lot of depressed shitty, you know, things going on in this world and it's highlighted by our shitty president. And then you're going to have art that reflects that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the, the art, the art that is truly, kind of cuts through and sort of transcends everything is sometimes stuff that isn't, you know, simply, and, and this is not being reductive, but that isn't reactionary to it. But, uh, you know, like, uh, like a movie get out where it's like, mm. I, I think, you know, the reason that that is captured, you know, such a, you know, momentum in regards to the way that people speak about it, as opposed to just like, Oh, it's just whatever. It's just a horror movie. So why even, why even really care about it is the fact that, you know, it came out, you know, it was filmed and everything was take you know, was taken care of before, you know, the current presidency. And it came out just at a time where it's like, Oh shit. Like I can't even like, this is like prescient. This is like, so on, on the moment. And it just happens to capture all of that without, the context of you know being reactionary from it um and it's just yeah yeah but it and you know that's what makes it you know more uh you know culturally valuable but all these other things that are reactions to the direct reactions to what we are experiencing are super interesting too so i think i think it'll be really interesting for subculture music because i count like trap music as like an interesting subculture because it's not like some of the, this stuff is obviously going to be commercialized and popularized, but like from its essence of what it is, it's not very like commercially like dolled up and like it's kind of like stripped down, like aggressive. And it'll be interesting to see like what subcultures rise up in these next couple years as sort of like a direct or indirect reaction to like what's happening. So I think, and that's why I think like there is room for census fail and other bands to like step in there and like, you know, kind of be a voice for, for that, you know, cause we need more people like maybe not being a hundred percent reactionary and like every single thing we talk about is, but just let you know, like, yeah, we're here and we're commenting on it and <laughs> we're just as upset as you are. And you can come to a census fail show and we can all like party on as, you know, <laughs> And we'll get through this. And that's sort of really the thing is like, we got through Bush. This is a lot scarier and different, but like, we're going to get through this. And ultimately I think it's going to spur a lot of interesting things like the me too movement, which wouldn't have happened had, you know, it just wouldn't have space for that. You wouldn't have had the fire or the kindling like available. People would be like, yeah, you know, I mean, we need to do this, but like, do we need, we just have a woman as a president. Like, you know, everything's good. You know, whereas like, if you notice, like last year when people were talking about um, Casey Affleck, 
uh, in his uh, Manchester by the Sea and how he was accused. That was like talked about at nauseum, but never had the same movement. And now, like if that was right now, you would have seen him pretty much not win those nominations or have to deal with the consequences of it. And it's a different world now for better and for worse. I don't know if we can say that yet, but <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, cause you're in the middle of it and you can't, yeah, you can't tell, but there are certain things where it's like you read about, you read about and see certain instances and you're kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that one, but I, no, but no one does because we're in the middle of it and no one knows how this is going to, you know, impact people positive, positively and negatively to where it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe we shouldn't be as reactionary or we shouldn't be, um, you know, as, uh, uh, as precious about certain things, but you know, we won't know that until much later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As is always the case. So it'll be, uh, it's, I mean, it's still, it's a pretty interesting time to exist in you know in between you know it within two presidents that were pretty much absolutely hated by subculture um you know we've been this is this we've been through this is our second one so it's a second one hopefully our last but um totally you know uh, but yeah, so, but, but, but yeah, you'll be, you'll be there to, uh, you know, yeah. ho- hopefully, hopefully be there, uh, if, if there's more, uh, reaction to be had. So, <laughs> I mean, at this point I feel like we made it like, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like, I'm always of the opinion, like at some point, are people going to just be over it? But like, now I feel like maybe we like turned the hill. I look at it as like bands, like we got out of our teenage years and we like graduated college and we have a degree now and like people take us seriously. The teenage years is hard as a band because that's like your fourth and fifth record. When you're just kind of popping around, you're like, we used to be successful, but like our fans grew up. They're like 25 now. They don't really want to listen to this. We haven't swung back around in nostalgia. That's a tough time to be in. I think we finally like got out of it. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. Most of the growing pains you've you know you've you've shed, and now you can you know be more confident in what you're putting out there, which you know it, it reflects on this record. So way to go, buddy. Way to way to put out a good record. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, dude, thanks for hanging out. I appreciate you wanting to do this again. Thank you. No problem. That is what's up with Buddy Nielsen. Do you like that? I'm, I'm going to sing my outros now. No, that would be that would be terrible. Um, I got to tell you, I've been to some sweet shows lately, and I love music. Right? I just saw Phoebe Bridgers recently, and I just saw Sect recently with Die Young and some other friends. Nice little juxtaposition of light and soft. And uh, yeah, go to some shows. Right? I'm encouraging you. I'm 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 old. I I don't have to go to as many shows as I do, but I love it. So just want to encourage you to do it. And on a well, I was about to say on a complete side note, but no. Bringing it back to the original subject, Buddy Nielsen, thank you very much. Like I said, go buy the Pure Noise release that they have out now. Please, 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 please. It's a really, really good record. And what do I got for you next week? I have Matt Scott, Scott, Scott Leon, Scott, Scott Align, Scott Align. That's what I think it is. Matt Scott Align from Hurry and Everyone Everywhere. Hurry is an awesome power pop band. Matt and I didn't know each other, but I felt like we became best friends by the end of the conversation and it was super, super fun. So that's what we got next week. And uh, next week will be Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day in advance. Don't forget to buy your, your loved one something or you don't need to buy them something. Maybe just make them something. That's much nicer. So that's what we got for this week. And uh, yeah, have a safe rest of the week. And please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.
Hey, Miles. Yes. It's Jack from work. Yes. Hi. Did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can I go to get caught up on know. what is yes. happening? Are you? Yes. Are you confused about that? You're talking about the Daily Zeitgeist. I just to wanted show to that make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day, talk about what is happening, and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul. Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free.